Hey, what's up, folks? This is Tony Brewer. You're listening to Cogitations. Cogitations is the podcast where we think about things, we contemplate them, we turn them over in our minds, and then we discuss them. Daniel chapter 7, verse 28, Daniel writes, Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cogitations much troubled me, my countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter in my heart. Now, we're not going to keep the matter in our heart, we're going to talk about it. Today, we're going to talk about informed consent. Uh, look, this is something that I thought about. I was asked by the editor of the Fulton County Gospel News to write an article about irresistible grace. And the angle from which I wrote the argument, the approach that I took to the article, read, argument, article, eh, that's a Freudian slip if I've ever heard one. It was an argument against this idea of irresistible grace. But I did it from the angle of informed consent. Now, let me explain, explain informed consent. If you want somebody to do something and you are not in control of them, then you have to explain to them what is required of them, what restrictions, what stipulations, and then they will be able to consent to entering into maybe a transactional relationship. maybe. Maybe you want to hire somebody to do a job. So you come to somebody and say, hey, I want you to do a job. Uh, so I want you to come on my property and I'm going to be your boss and you're going to do what I tell you to do for uh, three days a week uh, for the next three months. If somebody just said, yes, that's great. I will agree to that. And now you're locked into a contract. At, at the very least, you've given your word that you would do it, but let's say that you sign a contract and it's legally binding, but you're not, it's an open-ended contract and it's vague and you're not told what your requirements are going to be. And what you have done by signing this contract is given over your free will. You're, you've given your, your, your will to your word that you're going to do stuff that you might not want to do. You might have consented to the relationship. I mean, that would be the argument made in court that you signed the piece of paper. But your defense would be, yeah, but I didn't know. They didn't tell me that they were going to make me do this, that, and the other. It is reasonable to conclude that one cannot actually give consent unless consent is informed. In other words, I want you to come to my property for three days a week. You're going to clean my house. We live, the, the architecture here in the north in Canada, uh, houses don't have a large, wide open floor, span, floor plan, but they have different levels. So it sounds like we live in this big, huge house. We really don't. It's like a normal size house for down south, but where down south it would be a ranch style home, uh, all, uh, on, all on one level, our house is actually three different levels. We have a basement, we have a main floor, which is on the ground, and then we have an upstairs, which is where the bedrooms are. So I want you to clean the basement, the main living area, and the bedrooms. That consists of making the beds, vacuuming, dusting, and doing the dishes, and preparing one meal. And I want you to do that for three days a week, and that's all I will ask of you, and I'm going to pay you $100 per day. So you will be making $300 per week for the next three months. Now, 
that is informed consent. So I want you to enter into this contractual transactional relationship, and I've given you enough information, reasonable information, reasonably, that you can, in, 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 from an informed standpoint, consent to this transactional relationship. Where do you think we learned this? We learned it from God. God communicates with man and tells man everything he needs to know all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Even in the Garden of Eden, whenever God put man in charge of the garden to tend the garden, God said, look, you can eat of the fruit of every tree in this garden except one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil which dwells in the midst of the garden. The day wherein thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. He told them everything they needed to know, and they had the right, the will, they could exercise their free moral agency to consent to God's rule and authority or to rebel against God's will and authority because they had all the information that they needed. Now, if God would have just said, Listen, you can eat of every tree of the knowledge, uh, every tree in the garden, except for this tree in the center. Well, why can't I? Well, don't worry about that. Just forget about it. That's not really informed consent. Now, it is true that God's authority is um, absolute, and he doesn't have to give us a reason. But in this case, with this very first commandment and this very first prohibition, it was reasonable for God to give them all of the information. God gave mankind every bit of the information mankind needed to know to consent to a right relationship with him. Don't eat of that tree. Don't eat of the fruit of that tree, rather, because the day wherein you eat thereof, you shall surely die. Now, the devil comes along, and he perverts that. He he accuses God, really, by implication, of not giving them all of the information they needed for informed consent. Look, the day wherein you eat this tree, eat of this fruit, you will not surely die, but you will be like God's. And of course, Eve looked at the tree, saw the fruit. Hey, this is good. And they ate of it. And of course, we know what happened. They should have died, but God exercised mercy because of the grace that was given from the foundation of the world. And then God's scheme of redemption started. Now, uh, let me look at the comments here. Uh, Lay Williams says, hello, my brother. Have a blessed day, Sister Adelaide Williams. Uh, keep, keep me in your prayers. Right now, I'm in the emergency room due to back and neck pain. Cassetta Road, Church of Christ, Columbus, Georgia. Columbus, Georgia. Well, Adelaide will, will de- or, well, Lay, we'll definitely keep you in our prayers. I'm so sorry to hear that, and I hope nothing is wrong. Well, that's stupid. Something is wrong or you wouldn't be in the emergency room. But what I mean is, I hope nothing is seriously wrong and I hope the doctors can get you straightened out and you get back to your much wanted walks of life. Uh, All right. So this idea of informed consent, why am I taking the time to make a podcast out of this? Let me share with you uh, this, uh, an excerpt from this article that I wrote for Fulton County Gospel News. If you don't subscribe to the Fulton County Gospel News, uh, digitally, I would urge you to go to Mammoth Spring Church of Christ and, uh, in their website, you can find the Fulton County gospel news link to get to that website. 
and you can subscribe and you can get a digital newsletter every month uh, with the articles that are written. And I've, I've written quite a few of them by now. Uh, I don't know why he keeps asking me to write articles. I don't think it's because I'm skillful at writing articles. I think it's just because I write articles. So that's a, that's a topic for another time. Uh, what am I doing? Oh, informed consent. As I'm pulling this article up, let me, uh, let me talk about informed consent from a secular standpoint. Um, we understand that when a doctor is going to do, well, speaking of our sister that's in the emergency room, she may need some type of procedure, okay? And it's possible that that's going to be a very invasive procedure. We don't know. Well, the doctor is not going to come and say, hey, I know what's wrong with you. Uh, I want you to sign this document giving us free reign to let us fix you. Well, there's no, there's no information there. There's no way you would sign that document. You don't have enough information to consent to allowing a doctor to, quote unquote, fix you or heal you. What that doctor needs to say is, okay, so I understand you have back pain. Here's, here's what we're going to do to fix it. We're going to give you a shot. We're going to do this type of physical therapy, and we're going to give you this medicine. Uh, will you allow us to do this? And, and, and there may be more to it than that, but the point is, if your doctor is vague and your doctor doesn't answer questions and your doctor is not keen on giving you information, then you need to kick that doctor to the curb because he's not giving you, and he's not giving you enough information that you can reasonably consent to the treatment. Okay? now. I thought about this when it comes to the idea of irresistible grace. Now let me let me talk about irresistible grace first. In the in the in the article, all I did was I define how reformed theologists and calvinists define irresistible grace. And then I rebut what they think is irresistible grace. Here's the way irresistible grace is typically taught in our preaching schools, in our churches, from our pulpits and stuff like that. God is going to give you grace and save you from your sins, whether you want want it or not. And it conjures up the idea of God dragging someone kicking and screaming to the grace whereby he saves them. That is not true. In fact, the Reformed theologist and the Calvinist, they actually <clears throat> they actually scoff at this. Let me read you a quote from R.C. Sproul. Um, however, the idea of irresistibility conjures up the idea that one cannot possibly offer any resistance to the grace of God. However, the history of, of the human race is the history of relentless resistance to the sweetness of the grace of God. Irresistible grace does not mean that God's grace is incapable of being resisted. Indeed, we are capable of resisting God's grace and we do resist it. So why do they say it's irresistible grace? <laughs> well, we'll get into that. But you see, that's from R.C. Sproul. Now, uh, in my article, I'll just read this next section. Notice the admission that God's grace is able to be resisted. This is a very effective equivocation. Many who disagree with irresistible grace, as they have been taught what irresistible grace is, will read or hear an argument like what's in this article, and they will see the reasonableness of it. 
and then they will be swayed and their faith can be shaken. The easiest way to guard against this is to actually define what the Reformed theologist or the Calvinist idea is of irresistible grace. Now, let us allow Spruill to go on in this article and explain what irresistible grace actually is. And this is in the same article. The Holy Spirit changes the inclination and disposition of our wills so that whereas we were previously unwilling to embrace Christ, now we are willing and more than willing. Indeed, we aren't dragged to Christ. We run to Christ and we embrace him joyfully because the Spirit has changed our hearts. They are no longer hearts of stone that are impervious to the commands of God and to the innovations of the gospel, or invitation of the gospel. I need some glasses, evidently. God melts the hardness of our hearts when he makes us new creatures. Let me change this to vernacular that has to do with rape. That's uncomfortable to even say. The date rape drug changes the inclination and disposition of the woman's will so that whereas she was previously unwilling to have sex with the potential man, with the potential suitor, she now is willing and more than willing. Indeed, she isn't dragged to the bed to have sex. She runs to the bed to have sex, and she embraces the man that drugged her. The date rate drug changes the woman's heart, so she is no longer possessive of a heart of stone impervious to the sexual advances of the man. Do you see how that works? I'm going to go on and read the next, uh, the next section of my article here. According to the expert, Spruill, God changes a man against the man's own will, so as he will desire God. This is horrendous. It is reminiscent of the date rape drug. Date rape drug. I've got to, I've got to make this bigger, y'all. I'm getting old. All right. It is reminiscent of the date rape drug. Date rape drug. This despicable doctrine would have God taking away any and all autonomy of will and power to consent from man and making him nothing more than a soulless, mindless robot. I probably should have wrote automaton. That sounds better. Anyway, there can be no virtue in following God because according to this pernicious doctrine, man has had his power of consent removed from him. We understand this principle of sexual, uh, this principle of consent very well when we talk about rape. If a man applies a drug to a woman that when sober denies his sexual advances, then once the drug is applied, she allows him, of her own volition, I might add, to have sex with her, he is considered a rapist. Why? Well, it's because in her natural sober-minded state, she wants no part of his sexual advances. According to the doctrine of irresistible grace, man wants no part of God and is resistant to his advances. So instead of God convincing him of the virtues of following himself, of following God, he, like the date rapist, 
applies a mind-altering power, the Holy Spirit, to the man and robs him of his power of consent. Can we not see the similarities? I feel like we don't even need to go to Scripture to refute the foolishness of this doctrine because it does not stand up to the, any kind of honest and reasonable scrutiny. I look like I've got comments here. Um, oh, yeah, what well, Barry O'Dell, the editor for the Fulton County Gospel News, is here. Fulton County Gospel News is free of charge. You can get it as an email or as a hard copy through the mail. Let us know what we can do for you. Tony has written several times for me and always does an excellent job. Barry, that's great. If you're still in the live stream, why don't you drop a link to the Fulton County Gospel News uh, so the, the folks that see this right now and are seeing it after the fact will be able to just, with a click, go there. All right. Thank you so much, Barry. Um, now, so this idea of informed consent, if, if we were talking about what the Calvinist and Reformed theologist claims that God does to man in any other setting, we would know that God is an unjust, tyrannical, evil God. For instance, I want you to work at my factory. So I'm going to uh, come to you and say, listen, I want you to work at my factory. I'm going to pay you $10 an hour, but I don't want to work at your factory. Well, let me do something to you and superimpose my will on you, and I will change, I will alter your brain in such a way where you now desire to work at my factory. And, and I know that doesn't hit emotionally, emotionally like the illustration of rape, but it's, it's the same. God gives informed consent. Now, let's go to the scriptures and see this. Um, let's go to the scriptures and see this idea of informed consent. Before we go, though, I want to read. I'm, I kind of like the last paragraph of my own article. If you'll allow me to. What's the word? Boast a little bit, maybe. Here's the last. Um, here's the last. Um, paragraph. I was going to uh, Acts chapter 7 where these people resisted the Holy Ghost and Stephen was trying to preach Jesus to these Jews in order to save them, in order to apply the grace of God and them resisting the teaching of an inspired man was equal to resisting the power of God to save them. So that tells me that the power of God can be resisted. It was resisted once, so it can be resisted again. And my last uh, paragraph is this. What was the Holy Spirit trying to do through Stephen's preaching if not regenerate the heart of the men who were hearing? Since the Holy Spirit's effort at regeneration was resisted, then the grace was resisted, thus making the idea of irresistible grace, a fool's folly. Barry, I hope you caught this because I said, thus making the idea of irritable grace, a fool's folly. I really hope that didn't make it into the, into the publication. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping that I, I fixed that. Anyway, I'm not reading, I'm not reading the copy that I sent to you. I'm reading the copy 
uh, before I did the edited stuff. Okay, Barry said he did catch it. Good deal. All right, so let's go to the scriptures and see if we can find this idea of informed consent. The first place I'm going to go is Luke chapter 14. Let's start in verse 25. And there went, and there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, even his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, if it ended there, the Calvinist and Reformed theologist might have an argument. Well, yeah, God is going to change your heart so that you're going to love him more than your family. You're going to love him more than your life. All right, you're right. I believe God does change your heart, but he doesn't do it against your will. You see, the, the Reformed theologist, they state, God doesn't apply grace against your will. God changes your heart against your will. In other words, you're changing your mind and saying, I'm going to stop resisting God and I'm going to start following God. Is God changing your heart through against your will? But here's the thing. The command is you have to decide. You have to be the one to change your heart. And he does it through informed consent. Remember all the way back in the garden, the day where you eat us, eat thereof, thou shalt surely die. So you have to decide, do I want to eat this or do I want to die? God's not going to force you. And evidently Eve decided she'd rather die or she decided that she would take a chance. Verse 28, listen to this. For which of you intending to build a tower setteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he hath sufficient to finish it, lest lest happily after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it began to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to war against another king, setteth not down first and considereth whether he be able to, with ten thousand to meet him that cometh against him with twenty thousand. Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. Here's the idea. You're a king going to war. You have to decide to go to war, and you can decide not to go to war. From the standpoint of the Calvinist, God would decide for you. You don't get to make that decision. He would change your mind against your will and then you would willingly, because of the changed mind, do what he wants you to do. According to the, according to the uh, Calvinist and uh, Reformed theologist, he would, God would change your mind against your will, and you would build the house whether or not you wanted to build the house. But here Jesus is saying, you've got to count the cost. You have to decide. And the idea there is this. How do you decide? You have to be informed. From where does that information come? The the place where all the information come that relates to life and godliness, and that's God's holy word. Let's keep going. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, 
He cannot be my disciple. Well, that's pretty cut and dry to me. But let's go to another place. Let's see. Verse 57 of Luke chapter 9. And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. This man had already decided to follow Jesus. But what did Jesus do? He, he acknowledged that this man didn't have enough information to make that decision. So Jesus gave him more information so he could make an informed decision, so he could, be, he could, he could practice informed consent. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Well, and he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury the dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And to another also he said, also said, Lord, I will, go, I will follow thee, but let me first go and bid them farewell, which are at my home, at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. The information that was being disseminated there to people who had decided to follow him, who were willing to follow him, is that you're going to give, have to give up things that you'd find important. I'm going to have to be what's important to you. And the implication is they decided that they didn't want to do it. So this was people who had decided to follow and then got information and decided not to follow. They consented to a disciple relationship with Jesus, with God, and then once they found more information, they withdrew their consent. That is why we have the Bible, folks. Do you want to be a follower of God? There are guidelines and information in this book that you need. And if at any time you feel like you don't want to live up to this and follow this, you can withdraw your consent and go live in the world. Because God, even though he applied the power of the Holy Ghost through the word of God, through reasonableness, where you can make an informed decision to follow him, if you ever decide not to, he has given you enough information to know the ramifications of that decision. God wants us to exercise our free will. Free will is probably the biggest attribute um, the, the biggest attribute of the image of God. We are made in the image of God. And God allows us to exercise our free will. The Calvinist, the Reformed theologist says that God is sovereign in all and nobody can resist him when he decides to do something. Well, the problem is, and I'm going to end here where I ended in the article. Let's go to the book of Acts chapter 7 and let's read this verse. Let's see if there's a place in scripture where God exercised his divine power in order to accomplish something and the men upon whom he was exercising his divine power 
resisted and exercised their free will because they were informed and they did not consent. If they would have consented, it would have been informed consent, and they could not accuse God of messing with their mind. Acts chapter 7, I believe we're in 50, well, let's just go to 51. You stiff, and this is at the end of Stephen's sermon to the Jews. He says, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised and hardened ears. You do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do ye. They resisted the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is God, is he not? I mean, go read Acts chapter 5, and Peter refers to the Holy Ghost as God. What's the problem here, my brethren? Listen. Go read the Scriptures. Go read every time in the New Testament where somebody wanting to follow Jesus is given information. Go read the New Testament for all the information pertinent to the Christian. You're going to suffer. You're going to, you're going to be ostracized. The world is not going to accept you. You're going to lose mother, father, lands, houses. You're going to be persecuted the way the prophets were persecuted. You're going to suffer many bad things for my name's sake. So that, that's all information you need. Now, do you still want to follow me? No, I don't want to follow you if that's all I get. Well, wait a second, there's more. You have the hope of eternal life. You will be with me in par- or you will be in paradise, and then at the last day, on the day of judgment, you'll stand before, you'll get a crown of righteousness, you'll be in heaven for eternity. Listen, that's good information too. Now, I take that. And I count the cost, and I make an informed decision, but it's my decision. The Reformed theologist and the Calvinist would have God robbing you of your ability to consent to the relationship, just like the rapist robs the woman of her ability to consent to his sexual advances. I don't want to serve a God like that. I hope I have said something today that has informed you. I hope that you have another arrow in your quiver to help conver- conversate. That's not a good word. To, and I, don't really, I hate really saying that it helps you deal with. I want you to be informed. I want you to be able to convert the people in your life who believe this doctrine. And maybe this will help you. My suggestion, look in the comment section here and go to Mammoth Spring Church of Christ. Uh, there's the, the Mammoth, mammothspringchurchofchrist.com, and you can find all of these uh, articles for the Fulton County Gospel News. Sign up for the Fulton County Gospel News. Get it delivered hard copy if you're, if you're stateside. If you're out of the country, get it delivered digitally. I, I'm, I'm sure that you could talk to Barry. And if you're outside of the country, you could get the rights to print all of these off and distribute them around the community where you are. And for the last several months, um, we are doing. Uh, well, hold on a second. Justin Pittner. Uh, Justin Pittner is host to this doctrine, 
Uh, he says, I'm using a terrible analogy. It is a terrible analogy. It's very terrible, but it's adequate because Calvin's God is terrible and tyrannical and unjust. And Justin doesn't deal with the arguments I make. Justin's accusation is you're mean and you don't understand the doctrine. Justin has already been hung on the horns of a dilemma that he cannot answer. There is absolutely no hope from the Reformed theologist Calvinistic idea of God. Because here's, here's the horns of a dilemma. Every man who is born is totally depraved and cannot follow God. He cannot be right with God no matter what he does. A man cannot decide to follow God and obey the things that are written in the Bible and be regenerated spiritually any more than a man that's in a grave can dig himself up out of that hole and resurrect himself physically. That's what the Reformed theologists and the Calvinists teach. So in order for you to have faith, in order for you to be regenerated, you have to have God miraculously alter your mind, your heart, and regenerate you. And only then will you be saved. All right, so let's think about that. Is there any hope? And I've asked Justin this before, and he cannot answer it. Yet he holds tightly to this foolish, pernicious doctrine. There is no hope from the Reformed theologist Calvinistic doctrine. Because Justin admitted, and I've got screenshots of this, they're a few years old now, but I have them, that anybody, whether whether they've been regenerated by God or not, can read this book and follow the instructions. In other words, they can do everything that the first century Christians did the way the first century Christians did it. But obeying the gospel will not save you. And I asked him the difference. What what is the difference between a person who God regenerates and who obeys the Bible the way the Bible says it needs to be obeyed and, and, and a person who is regenerated and follows the words of the Bible and obeys the Bible the way the Bible says the Bible needs to be obeyed? His answer, one has a regenerated heart, the other don't. So my question is, how do you know that you have a regenerated heart? You either have a regenerated heart and you're going to heaven for eternity, or you're living a lie, but you're doing the exact same thing. He robs God's word of its power to save. There is no hope. Because if you're a Christian and you're following the Bible and you're, and you're following the Bible to a T, you can't know whether or not you've been regenerated. So yeah, I'm still going to use this terrible analogy because it's adequate. It also shows the foolishness of the doctrine. And like I said, This man, 
He don't, he don't answer this. He cannot answer this. His only argument is, you don't know the doctrine and you're mean. Well, by his standard of mean, Jesus was very, very mean. And Jesus didn't know Calvin's doctrine either because it was invented centuries after Jesus walked the face of the earth. That's all I've got for you, folks. I hope that you've enjoyed the podcast. I hope you've been informed. And I hope you have another few arrows in your quiver for dealing with this pernicious and foolish doctrine that's been Tony Brewer with Cogitations. Share the live stream. Share the, uh, share the podcast. Subscribe. All that good stuff. And uh, we'll catch you on the flip side.